want to uh, turn, or actually I'll ask you to turn in the back of the blue psalter behind the songs to a section of the Heidelberg Catechism that we'll be reciting throughout the course of the sermon tonight. It's on page 12 uh, behind the songs. As uh, we venture into the second main section of the Catechism, the first section having explained, reminded us of our guilt uh, before God as sinful uh, beings, but quite a lengthy second section of the Catechism describing how God has delivered us from our sins and miseries, we venture into that section tonight and we'll uh, look at question and answers 12 through 15, as I said throughout the course of the sermon, so keep that open. Uh, But from the Word of God tonight, which is our guide, Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23. The first seven verses here, which at first glance or at first hearing may just seem to us like maybe arbitrarily selected laws that God is giving to regulate the conduct of His people, but these laws of course reflect His holy character and something in particular about our subject tonight, so that's why we have come to Exodus 23. This is God's holy word. He says, Do not spread false reports. Do not help a wicked man by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd. And do not show favoritism to a poor man in his lawsuit. Now if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to take it back to him. And if you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help him with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death. For I will not acquit the guilty. I will not acquit the guilty. So far the reading of God's holy word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ and friends, simple question for you. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did Jesus die on the cross? I know, I know. To save us from our sins. But how exactly does Jesus' death save us from our sins? You know, it may surprise us to remember that there are many different answers that people have given to that question. People who agree that they are sinful and who agree that Jesus is the only way to be saved. In fact, that Jesus' death is the only way to be saved. If you were to ask them, how did Jesus exactly save 
us from our sins when he died for us, they might say this. They might say, well, you see, God decided to forgive us from our sins freely by his grace. And the reason Jesus came was to show us that God takes sin very seriously. Because, you know, if we believe that God forgave our sins entirely by his grace and just wiped them away completely as if they never happened, then we might tend to say sin so that grace may abound. And that isn't acceptable. So to show us that he was serious about sin, even though he would forgive us from it freely, Jesus had to come and to die. What do you think about that? Does that sound right? What about this? Some people say, well, I believe that I'm sinful and I believe that Jesus died for my sins and that trusting Jesus' death for my sins is the only way that I can be saved. And what I mean by that is that Jesus had to come to earth and to show the ultimate humility, the most intense and perfect form of humility and obedience to God that ever could be imagined so that I could look at what He did and follow His example and be saved. How does that sound? They say, you know, the problem is that our first father Adam, when he was given a law, he didn't obey it. And so what Jesus did is he came and he went and showed the ultimate humility and the ultimate obedience to God by dying even. That was the strongest test that he could ever undergo. And he did that so that I can now follow his example of obedience and be saved. Now, I hope that uh, you caught the serious mistake. Well, it's no mistake. It's, it's an error. In fact, it's heresy that is spoken in both of those understandings of how it is exactly that Jesus saves us in His death. I mean, it's true that God forgives us by His grace, but Jesus' death was more than just God telling us that He takes sin seriously and we shouldn't take grace for granted. It was the actual what? Payment for our sins, wasn't it? And Jesus' death was more than just an example for us to follow. Although the scripture speaks of Jesus' death, truthfully, as those who have been saved by that death to follow his example, but to speak of his death only in those ways and not to understand his death as him having taken the punishment on himself that we deserve is to not have Jesus. I don't need to remind you again, but I will, that the whole reason we go through these catechisms as faithful summaries of God's Word over and over again is because many times people will say all of the same words that we say. We believe in Jesus. We believe that we are sinners. We believe that Jesus saves us. We believe that that is the only way to be saved is through Jesus and that He died for our sins. But you see, if it's not understood in the biblical sense, then we don't really have Jesus at all when we say that, do we? And I'm not talking about someone who just in the very beginnings of their faith is convicted of their sins by the Spirit when they're reading the Scripture, when they're hearing the Word preached or talking with a friend and they flee to Jesus Christ and they don't have all their understanding together, right? I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about people who are going forward and living the Christian life for a number of months, 
or a number of years and who are very quick to say that they believe in Jesus and that Jesus died for their sins but if you ask them they cannot tell you what that means and if that's the case or they explain it differently then the scripture does and they don't have Jesus do they? The reason why Jesus died for our sins or how he saved us in his death is to satisfy the justice of God. Let me ask you question 12 and we can respond together with the answer there in the catechism. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both in this world and forever after. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? What is the answer? God requires that His justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of His justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. And that's what Jesus did, didn't He? He came to satisfy the justice of God. He came to pay the penalty that we deserve. See, either you understand, not only that you are totally corrupt and sinful, a lot of people get that, Right? That you're born into sin and part of a fallen human race and subject to all the miseries. Not only that, and not only that the consequence of being that sinful and miserable, it's not just that you've made a few mistakes, but that you deserve the condemnation of hell. Right? It's not only that you believe those things, but it's also that you believe that God wills that His justice be satisfied. He requires, as the Catechism says, that His justice uh, be satisfied. That's why we read from Exodus chapter 23 verse 7. Think about the laws that he's giving. Talking about don't pervert justice because I am a fair God. Especially look at verse 7. Have nothing to do with a false charge and do not put an innocent or honest person to death. Why? For I will not acquit the guilty. You see, because when I establish laws, says the Lord, and I make the system a certain way, the claims of justice must be paid in full. Proverbs 17.15 Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord detests them both. You see, the Lord is fair. And when He says uh, that sinners will die and that they owe Him condemnation, He will collect, won't He? Because he is a God who is fair. He does not acquit the guilty, nor does he condemn the innocent. He hates that. It's the basis of all of his law to his people in Israel. Requires that his justice be satisfied. Think about that. If you believe that God sort of just freely forgives all sin, and the only reason that Jesus dies on the cross is to sort of show everybody that he's serious about it so that they don't sin more and take advantage of his grace... That makes God unfair. Because the claims of His justice don't go satisfied. He just forgets, sort of, about everything that happened. But that's not our God. Our God puts our sin to death in the Lord Jesus Christ, or puts the Lord Jesus Christ to death for our sin. Right? Or think about that idea that Jesus comes merely to do what Adam didn't do, in the sense that He's going to set a good example for us, where Adam set a bad example. So Jesus really came and went all the way unto death just to show us how to live. But what about our sin 
that has gone before us all of our lives, even if we were to follow that example and live holily for the rest of our lives, well, the claims of God's justice would still go unsatisfied for all of our past sin. So it is necessary to see that Christ came to satisfy God's claims of justice. To take the punishment in our place. Now of course, the Catechism wants us to uh, consider this further. That last line in answer 12 says, uh, These claims must be paid in full either by ourselves or by another. And question 13 is quick to ask the question, in case we were wondering about it, can we pay this debt ourselves? And what is the answer? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our guilt every day. Now, the fact of the matter is that it is impossible for us to pay the debt ourselves, isn't it? This is why Jesus came. You will spend no time in this world paying your own debt back to God. You will only spend time increasing your debt to God because you are sinful. And we're good Americans, so there's a perfect analogy to understand how this works. Imagine, hopefully imagine, that you have a credit card that is maxed out and that you are only making payments, the minimum payment on it, month by month by month. And you get it down just far enough so that it's under the limit so that you can spend on it again, right? But then you're still only making the minimum payments on and on and on, but you continue to spend on that card as much as possible. And you are making these small payments, these minimum payments, for the rest of your life, as you continue to spend on it, will you ever make a dent in that debt? No, on the contrary, what happens? Your limit gets increased, and so does your debt. On and on and on and on. And that is exactly what it would be like if we were going to try and pay back to God, satisfy the claims of His justice against us because we are sinful. Our sin debt would just increase and increase and increase and increase. And this supposed payments that we're making, whatever holy works that we are doing or sufferings that we are enduring to sort of take off the debt would far be outweighed, even if we could make some of those, would far be outweighed by the increasing sin and debt for that sin that would be piling up to our account. You see, we actually increase our guilt every day. The scripture has some fascinating ways of describing us. Job 15.15 says, If God places no trust in His holy angels, and if even the heavens above are not pure in His eyes, how much less man, us, vile and corrupt, who drinks up evil like water. I mean, the audacity of a man, a woman, or child to think that they are going to bring something to God that is acceptable, and let alone that, that once they have sinned, they think that they're going to be able to endure some kind of suffering in their bodies or in their lives, or that they're going to be able to do some kind of works that are going to be pleasing to God, that are going to make up for the bad things. That's ridiculous. Because what are we like? We're so vile and corrupt, we drink up evil like it's water. Fascinating expression. Psalm 130, verse 3. The psalmist cries out to the Lord, looking at his fallen state, and looking at the fallen state of Israel and the whole human race, and he says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? You know, Lord, to imagine that you would keep that detail of a record of our pluses and minuses, who could even stand in your presence? 
God wills that His justice be satisfied and clearly we are unable to satisfy the claims of His justice. We just can't do it. And we find ourselves in a desperate situation. Either God will have to rise, another, as question answer 12 says, another will have to rise to pay for us, or we're entirely lost and without hope. Maybe, just maybe, there is some creature out in the world who will be able to satisfy the claims of God's justice regarding my soul so the catechism asks and we'll answer together can any creature question 14 any other creature any at all pay this debt for us no to begin with God will not punish another creature for man's guilt besides no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it so I want you to notice that when this Catechism asks the question, can another creature any at all? You notice it's not just talking about human creatures, but let's say maybe it's possible that an animal could take away the debt, could satisfy the claims of God's justice. An animal, an animal could die for us. Or even if it was like God becoming incarnate to an animal. Not just a regular old goat, but how about 100% goat, 100% God? Would that person be able to satisfy for our sins? Well, what do the scriptures say? I'll read you from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children, that is us, have flesh and blood, he too, that is Jesus, shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The author of the Hebrews says, listen, Jesus came as a true man, as a true human being, because we are human beings. And the obvious logic behind that is what? That the mediator, the one who would satisfy the claims of God's justice for us, had to be who we are. He couldn't be an animal. God could not make himself incarnate in a bull or a goat to take away our sins, Hebrews 10.4, because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So you can forget about looking at other creatures in the world besides humanity that would be able to pay this debt. But not only that, you notice says in the answer to question 14 besides no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it and it's saying okay well maybe if not an animal how about if just say there was a perfect human being out there not a God man but just say I don't know God created another true man or let's say one just appeared in the world someday and we say, well, we know that's impossible. I know that's impossible, but the Catechism wants us to drive our thinking to Christ and to be very careful about how we understand Him. So imagine that there is actually a human being in the image of God who is not the God-man, who is actually perfect. So somehow not coming from the line of Adam. But He's not the God-man, He's just a man. Can He take away our sins? Can He pay the debt? 
No, why not? How long would it take this perfect man to pay off our sin debt? How long would it take him? Well, the answer is, it would take him an eternity and he would never be able to fully pay for that sin so that we may actually be released from it. No mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal anger against sin and release others from it because he will be suffering an eternal punishment forever and ever and ever. A creature who is bound in space and time like all of God's creatures are would have to suffer that eternal punishment on and on and on and on. He'd never finish. And so our debt to God would still be outstanding. It can't be an animal. It can't be another man. Forget a sinless man. It can't even be a perfect mere man if one existed to take away our sin. This only leaves one option. When we say that the claims of God's justice must be satisfied and we find ourselves in a mess because we look around at all of the creation, including ourselves, and say that nothing can satisfy the claims of God's justice and He will not pervert His own justice. It leaves us with only one hope, one option. What kind of mediator, question 15, and deliverer should we look for then? That's the question and what's the answer? He must be truly human and truly righteous yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, he must also be true God. He must be truly human and truly righteous, yet more powerful than all the creatures. That is, he must be also true God. And of course, when we come to the next sermon in the Catechism, we will explain this more fully. How Jesus is the only one who qualifies to be our mediator. We have to understand that he does meet all the qualifications. You see here, he is a true man. We'll explain why he had to be more directly next time. But he must be true man. And you need to know that when you say you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that he died for your sins, he's not a ghost, he's not merely God, but he was God for all of eternity and took on true humanity when he came down to earth and was born of the Virgin Mary. He is just like us as to his humanity. He was a little baby and he grew and he learned and he was hungry and he ate. He had relationships. He had that personality. He had intelligence. He had a body. He's true man and Truly righteous. Truly righteous. He's not a phantom like that person we sort of came up with that was created and walked the earth but didn't really, couldn't be traced to the line of Adam and doesn't really exist anyway. It's impossible that God would do that. He is actually a man that is righteous and perfect. Almost difficult for us to comprehend given our fallen condition. All of his affections aligned right, perfectly wise, able to relate to the God who made him, himself who made his own substance. Fascinating to think about that. But able to relate to all of God and his laws perfectly and to navigate all of the creation around him perfectly and always to be pure in thoughts and words and deeds. He is the perfect man, truly righteous. 
truly righteous, honest, and innocent, as we read from Exodus 27. And yet what? He is more powerful than all the creatures. You see, Jesus, being also true God, as the Catechism says, you see, is able to suffer an eternal punishment and not have to go on and on forever and ever and ever and ever so that it's never done, so they can't release others from it. And we'll be very clear about that next time. But you see, Jesus is our only hope. And the proper understanding that Jesus came to satisfy the claims of God's justice to pay the penalty to suffer in His body and soul for our sins. To believe that is to have life and deliverance by Him. And to not understand that and to not believe that is to be lost and resting on some creature, ourselves or something else, that will never be able to pay for our sins. May God give us grace to cling to His precious Son who has given Himself to satisfy the claims of the Father's justice. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we rejoice that You did not leave us in our despair, but You saw our need and you before the foundation of the world with the Son and the Holy Spirit agreed to send Christ into the world to satisfy the claims of your justice and uh, we are so thankful that you chose to do that by your mercies so thankful that you make it clear to us And uh, we pray that Christ would be exalted as His atoning death is proclaimed uh, throughout His world. We thank You for Your Spirit also. And the Father who opened our blind eyes to hear this and to see our need. And who continues to instruct us clearly from the Word. That we might not depart from Jesus, but that we would hold fast to Him and trust Him as our only hope in life and in death. Thank You for the comfort that we draw from knowing that we belong to You and that You will never never cause us to pay the claims which have already been paid by Jesus for us. We exalt you in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Our song is number 267.